Hello and welcome to the Open Labour podcast. My name is James Gibson and I'm joined today as always by my co-host Tom Hinchcliffe. Hi Tom. Hello. Today is the third of our NEC election specials and we're going to be talking to Jermaine Jackman. I always start our introductions by saying we're joined by a special guest today. And that's because we always get very good people on the podcast. So everyone is a special guest. But Jermaine does stand out. Some of you will know Jermaine for his political activism, especially if you live in the borough of Hackney. Or you may know Jermaine from his time under youth parliament. And of course, some of you may know Jermaine for his music, most notably when he won the acclaimed television series The Voice. Jermaine once said that when he was on The Voice that he wants to be the first singing Prime Minister and I really wouldn't bet against him. He truly is one of the most talented young people I've met. Yeah, I mean, he's a very impressive guy, isn't he? I mean, we've had him on today. We're going to speak to him in a bit and he's just a refreshing voice that Mm. has the opportunity to speak on behalf of not even young people, just everybody in the party. He's, um, mm. he's a very impressive guy, very talented. And um, he's already on the ballot, of course, but I really do hope people continue voting for him and will vote for him in the running to the actual ballot. Excellent. Well, let's get to it then. Welcome, Jermaine. Thank you so much for having me. Thank no, you. thank you for coming on. It's, it really is a great pleasure. So a lot of our listeners, they'll, they'll know you for your political activism. They would have seen you on Twitter. And of course, some of them will know you from The Voice as well. So there's, you know, you've got a great profile. Do you, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, your, your background? Because I, I, I did see a clip I can remember back in, was it 2014 you are on The Voice? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Yeah, 2014. I did see a clip where I think it was behind The Voice, you know, they sort of get to know the, the contestants. And you mentioned your political activism there and wanting to be the voice of young people. So clearly it's been something that you're passionate about for a long time. Absolutely. And there's a funny story between me and Ed Miliband because Ed Miliband yeah. was the leader of the Labour Party yeah, then. And um, I don't think Labour was as popular with, with no. the general public at that time. And I was I was told by the BBC that I was the only artist, the only singer out of all the singing competitions to have yeah. the most votes. I think yes. I got about 12 million votes. That wow. Night. Wow. And uh, which is crazy. Absolutely. I didn't even know 12 million people knew me. That's probably more um, than more than the Labour Party got in, uh, so, in 2015, isn't it? <laughs> right. So this is the funny bit. So after I had won the morning after, I got a strange call. I said, I don't recognise this number. Yes. And it was Ed Miliband on oh, the phone. Oh, wow. I said, how the hell did he get my number? Obviously, he was digging through <laughs> those membership. <laughs> this yeah. was before GDPR came, came in. Yeah, sure. <laughs> And he called me, said, um, congratulations, I want to I work with you closely and, and see how we can um, work together in the Labour Party. Oh, because wow. I, I spoke about how, of an, how much of an activist I am yep. and how active I am in my community, um, amplifying the voices of young people, but yep. also how I was youth officer in my local CLP. Yes. And I spoke about my affiliations to the Labour Party and I proudly yep. stood by that. Yep. And I think that a couple of the producers on the show were like, Jermaine, maybe not mention party politics. I said, but this is, <laughs> this is a, a major pillar to who I am and my, my ideology and how I was brought up and what I yes. think the world should be like. So I can't not mention it. And I guess for me to, so, to mention it so proudly and stab the votes, leadership that at the time saw that as, okay, you need to bring him on board. Uh, and that was the, the start of Ed Miliband and mine, um, our relationship. Uh, working relationship. Great. So yeah, 
Um, and that was a brave always, thing to do as well. A brave thing to do to, to to sort of pin your colours to the mass like that and say, you know, I'm a Labour Party activist. When you're on a competition where people are going to be voting for you, that's a really brave thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, for me, it was also about showing them that I'm not just a singer. It's funny because I do that in this political circle as well. I'm not yes. just a political activist. There's so yes. much more to me. And I think I was talking to Dawn Butler about this the other day. And she said, it's okay to sometimes like other things, be passionate about other things, <laughs> or baking cakes or going to concerts or traveling yes. the world. It's okay. It's not every day entrenched in politics. Of course, like you, it's a part of who you are and it's a type of world that you would like to, to see. It's not every day. I know there are some people on Twitter um, who are just constantly, constantly, yeah constant <laughs> yes. and i'm like yo just just take those fingers off the keyboard for a moment yeah. and watch some simpsons or something just just <laughs> yeah absolutely it's so important is it to be to be grounded in in the real world and and have those extra hobbies and interests because it is easy to get wrapped up in in politics and just focus on that and and to a certain extent that can detach you from what's happening can't it in the real world absolutely and and this is one of my worries with internal party elections that we're so yes. entrenched mm. and, and blinded by internal party elections and power grabbing here and there and who can get the biggest faction on the NEC and this and that. And while we're all bickering with one another, you still got the family in Sunderland who are struggling to pay their rent. Yeah. You still got yeah. the young boy in London who who's fearing for his life every time he leaves his house. You still yep. got the young girls who are being excluded or sexually harassed on the street to and from school. When do we actually start to deal with those real issues that communities are facing? Yeah. And this is the type of thing that I want by running these internal party elections, the type of culture, I'll call it a culture, that I want to take it away from and yes. say, like, look, we need to be working together to try and create and improve the lives of people and create a better society. Yep. Let's not bicker and fight and, and be so entrenched in party elections. I don't even know why these internal party elections are so long. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they are. They're so long. I mean, we, we love talking about ourselves, don't we? And that's just, you know, as much as it's, it puts people out of touch with the reality of the situation on the ground when politics becomes a lifestyle on Twitter. Mm. Mm. But... What made you want to make that step then from youth officer to NEC candidate? Was it this disconnect with the public that played on your mind a little bit or was it, it something it, else? It, 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 was, it was a bit of that. Uh, and I think that you hit the nail on the head talking about politics as a lifestyle. For me, politics is a passion, a focus, a vehicle of mine to try and create a better society, right? Yeah. And the reason why I got into politics and was so interested in politics was because um, I've lost a number of friends to gun and knife crime. Mm. Um, during okay. lockdown, my sister and I, um, we sat down and we saw some of our, because we didn't have anything else to do. We yeah. saw, we were looking through some of our old pictures, um, school pictures of school photos, and we're like, yeah, he's in jail, he's been killed, um, that one's been stabbed, and this one's in and out of prison. And I just thought, and, and most recently I lost a friend um, to knife crime in January, and I just thought, what kind of society are we living in where... Mm young people not only are fearing for their lives, therefore they have to carry a knife because they don't confide in the police, they don't trust the police, yeah. they have confidence in the police, but also where we don't invest in our young people, mm -hmm. where we don't invest in communities, where we don't invest yeah. in, in, in regeneration. And from a young age, I said to myself, no, we need to create a better society, one where we invest in education, communities, infrastructure, yeah. 
um, opportunities for our children and young people, one where no one is struggling to make ends meet, that everyone yeah. is paid a fair wage and they can pay their rent and they can enjoy their life. And I guess that's what sort of spurred me into, into politics. I thought about, okay, well, what, what's the steps that I need to make? So I joined yeah. the youth parliament. I was a youth parliamentarian. Yes, I saw that. Youth parliament, um, and I did a lot of work in acting with that engaging uh, schools in politics. And I remember I went, my secondary school was in Jeremy Corbyn's constituency. So Jeremy was always in <laughs> yeah. our school. And I, I remember he came to uh, one of my performances um, in my school and I had an opportunity to talk to him after and I said Jeremy look I, I want to do more in politics it's all good and well me in UK youth parliament but there's only so much I can do so he said join the Labour Party um, I said okay cool went through that process and I joined the Labour Party um, in my in secondary school and I became a youth officer I remember my first ever CLP meeting mm. I felt it felt strange. I was like, mm. Mm. Yeah. everyone remembers their first one. I think. It's oh, how can you not? So intimidating. I'm, I'm in the right place. Uh, yeah. In, everyone, everyone, it's almost like you're walking in late for church. Yeah. Everyone turns yeah. around. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly <laughs> the like, same experience I it's, had. It's my like phone went off though. My phone went off <laughs> as I walked in. So everybody's oh turning around God. and I'm getting. And my uncle was in the Labour Party in the scowl that he gave me. <laughs> I'll, right. I'll never, I'll never ever forget that. It's like walking into a bar, isn't it? Where nobody, like a, an old working men's club. Yeah. Where nobody knows who you are and everybody yeah. turns around. I haven't seen him yeah. in here before. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> you lost. And yeah. because there weren't any young black men, yeah. especially, a lot of people were like, um, and this was in a community centre in the middle of a state where we yeah. held our CLP meetings. So I don't yeah. know. I think a lot of people thought, are you lost? Um, so... I remember walking into that meeting and, and feeling like, wow. And then the second meeting, I remember leaving them and saying, I don't want to turn up. I don't want to return to those meetings ever again <laughs> because it just didn't feel yeah. welcome. Yeah. And those are one of the things, these are some of the things yeah. that I really want to push forward uh, if elected onto the NEC, making CLP yes. meetings more welcoming and, mm. and enjoyable and where we can actually debate some ideas and topics yeah. rather than point of order, point of order. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's just too much. No, I know. It's, it's crazy where it's got to a point now, honestly, that you, you speak to people, people shouldn't be rolling their eyes when you talk to them about CLP meetings. Mm-hmm. But it's, I don't know anybody that you turn around and say, oh, I'm going to CLP meeting and the candidates say, oh, God. Yeah. Oh, oh. It's like something you have to do rather than something you want to do. And that's just yeah. not right, is it? Yeah, yeah. It should be an enjoyable process um, um, and an enjoyable event. So those are some of the things that I want to work on. But back to the question as to, what sort of spurred me from being a youth officer to, to the NEC. And I guess doing it, being a youth officer was great. Got to engage with so many young people, increased the youth membership in my local CLP, um, was holding little stalls in schools and things, and then got chased out by head teachers <laughs> because those are non-political spaces. Yeah. But nonetheless, I was really active. But there was that disconnect, I felt. I did feel like, oh, the NECs are sort of the echelons of the party and when no one can reach them and or, or approach them, you only speak to them when they when they speak to you yeah. first. Type of thing. on a pedestal, ivory tower. That's what the court say. Right. Yeah. Right. So I said, well, no. The NEC should have their ears onto the ground. The NEC yeah. should be uh, amongst us grassroots activists. Of course. Um, the NEC needs to be filled with grassroots activists first and foremost, mm-hmm. and we need to get rid of those egotistical. Um, sometimes careerist individuals yeah. who just want to be on there because they want to step up to be an MP. I saw that if I'm trying to 
improve the lives of people that I interact with. So mm-hmm. from, from my music, I've met thousands of people around the world. From my politics, I've met thousands of people. Like I've done speeches, I've done performances in arenas and everything and toured around. Um, and I've seen deprivation. Like I thought Hackney was bad. It's not until I went up north mm. to yeah. a place like Sunderland. Mm. Oh my goodness. So I, and my heart broke and I said, wow, how, how is this? And the vehicle of change to try and improve mm. all of this is the Labour Party. Yeah. But we're too busy fighting one another than yeah. actually fighting the yeah. Tories. Yeah. And I said, yeah. this needs to stop. Mm. This needs to stop. So I said, all right, cool. Let me go for, I first went for the, the BAME rep on the NEC. Yeah. Um, and that was an experience. Um, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and then the CLP um, rep came up and I said, you know what? Why not do it again? Yeah. All while I'm gaining experience, uh, developing skills, being able to, to tackle issues, being able to communicate properly, um, listening to marginalized people, because only yes. the thing about activists sometimes is that we can be so entrenched in our own sort of passionate topic. So for example, for me, it was youth violence, it was the criminal yes. justice system, it was racism, and I was so entrenched, I didn't know mm. about um, trans rights. I didn't know about all yeah. these other issues that I've been able to develop and learn and, mm. and develop an opinion about. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful to meet so many different people, for them to share with them, um, with me, their ideas. Um, and that's the great thing about running in this campaign that I'm able to learn, I'm able to listen, yes. I'm able to, because if, even if I don't get elected, I'll still be speaking on their behalf. I'll still be um, speaking up for them. And I think that's very important that I don't, I don't believe that I needed a title, um, Jermaine Jackman on the NEC, um, yeah. to feel like I can bring about change. Power comes from the grassroots. Power comes from the people. Power is yes. on the ground. Yeah. Um, and I believe that if we are passionate enough about a topic, if we come together, we can bring about change. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right about, the, especially the politi- political education side of things. I would class myself and many others as ignorant until the Black Lives Matter movement. That's one thing that just completely educated me on on the realities that mm. like the BAME community and black people face yes. um, in terms of systemic racism and stuff that you, you just never even notice. And yeah. then the trans stuff as well, trans rights, it's another thing that, mm. you know, I, I've, I've been so misinformed on mm. until until you start mixing with other members and you get their experiences and that's what being in the party should be about for me and I think absolutely. I think you're absolutely right I, I just feel like too often there's a culture in our party where it's like I want to have the one up from you or yes. I know more than you or you're not you're not supposed to be mm. we're all learning we're all learning we're all developing yeah. and we're all meeting new people and and this is what it's all about like I remember when the trans debate was brought into my attention I was like there's a debate I just thought trans women were women and trans men were mm-hmm. men. I didn't mm-hmm. realize there was a debate. Mm-hmm. I thought everyone sort of accepted yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and by all means, it's important that you understand both sides of, of the conversation. But my opinion and where my where I like trans rights are human rights, trans men are men and trans yes. women are women. And yep. it's like, um, okay, great. You've learned and you've, you've developed those skills. You've mm-hmm. politically educated yourself on both sides of the argument. Now you make an informed decision. Yes. And I'm not, a, I'm not scared to say at times i don't know yeah i don't know teach me tell me what i tell me and this is one of the things that i want to do as an nec member um 
is to be accessible, to say and be real with people saying, look, I don't have all the answers, but I will create channels, mm-hmm. ways in which I can hear the answers. I can hear your voices. I can hear your experiences. So whether it's a monthly Zoom where I give you guys an update on what I've done, um, and then you guys can hold me to account and I'm transparent with you guys, but also a way for me to learn about why I should not have voted in this way or why it was good that I voted in this way or, or these are the upcoming topics and discussions and, 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 and controversial things that are coming up and this is why you should be saying certain things. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm not going into this arena saying I'm a know-it-all, I've got all the answers, but I want to go into the arena emboldened with all of the members beside me and saying we're in this together we're going to do this together and we're going to learn together we're going to share our ideas share our resources together so we can actually create a proper party and i've got so many different ideas on on how we can do this uh, but yeah, sorry, that was a long-winded answer. Great answer. I think uh, our listeners will be very pleased to hear what, what you're saying. I think it, it will strike a chord with a lot of our Open Labour members. And what, you, what you're saying is essentially uh, the embodiment of our values. So that, and, and that's why we're backing you. We're going to come on to the Black Lives Matter movement as a whole a bit later on. But I want to talk to you about the 1987 caucus that you formed mm-hmm. earlier this year. You describe it as a collective and network of young black men in the Labour Party inspired by the historic election of 1987 that saw the first black men elected to Parliament. I think it's a Bernie Grant quote you use in your Labour List article from yeah. 1984 party conference. He said, and it comes up quite often this, you see our, you see our problem in the Labour Party is that black people are not a priority and trade union mm. And neither is the trade union movement at the moment, basically, says. Yeah. Do you, do you feel, still think that rings true? Bernie Grant said at the conference, he was like, you see, our problem is that black people are not a priority in the Labour Party and the trade yeah. union movement at the moment. And yeah. the reason why we used that quote was because it rang so true to some of the experiences today. Mm. So I will start off by talking about why I created the 1987 caucus. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it very hard while running for the um, BAME rep seat on the NEC um, because no one had ever seen in its 120 years existence there's never been a black man on the NEC first and foremost Wow! Um, and no one had ever seen an active young black member uh, and there was there was small pockets and individuals around the country that I had come across during my election campaign that I had spoken to and one of the things that they kept on saying is that doors close on my face as a young Mm. black man doors continuously close and then when i think about some of the issues that young black men face whether it's being stopped and searched by police you know look Mm -hmm. in may alone twenty-two thousand young black men were stopped and searched in london that's almost a quarter of all young black men in london so if they did it for four months they would have stopped and searched every single young black man in the capital it's crazy isn't it telling me that the organization doesn't have a problem I know. So when we think about some of the issues that are faced by young black men, how disempowered, disengaged and disheartened that they, and they are, from, not only from Labour Party politics, but from politics in general, mm-hmm. I said, well, we need to create a space for them, a safe space for them to share ideas, to empower and support one another and encourage one another. I've Absolutely. been putting job links into the, the group chat that we've got on WhatsApp. Yeah. Um, I've been saying, look, let's create some articles, let's write some articles, let's spread the message, let's do some reports, let's do some findings. I mean, we did that whole finding of that there's never been a, a, a black man on the NEC um, in its 120 years existence. Is that still true today then? There's still not yeah. been 
a black man on the NEC. Wow. When we say black, we mean um, African and Caribbean heritage. Yeah. Yeah. It has never, ever been. I think that will shock a lot of listeners. I really do. Yeah. That's crazy. And then since 19... So we named it after the election of Paul Boateng and Bernie Grant in 1987. Two first black men elected into parliament. And since then, there's only been four black men ever elected into parliament. Uh, Chuka, uh, um, David Lammy. David Lammy. Clive Lewis and the MP for Preston, whose name always escapes me, Mark, all the time escapes me. But these are these; those are the four, and now obviously took us left, and now now there's three. And uh, we also looked at certain the councillors in the in, in the country, and it's only 81 black wow. male councillors in the country. So you see the systemic challenges that black men face. So I was like, well, we need to create a space for that. So mm. I created the core group. And now I'm slowly in the process of creating an extension to that, which is for all the black male counselors in the country and slowly building a network of black male activists um, who can support one another, who can encourage one another, who can empower one another Mm. to not only go for elected positions, but also CLP campaigners and organizers um, and other other roles within the party. Um, So just look, Jermaine, there's 17,700 counselors in this country. 17,700 and only 81 are black men. That is only 81. Uh, just astonishing. Over, just over a, a thousand of them are black men and women, and then yeah. each one of those are wow. black men. So, you, we, we've got such a long way to go, and yeah. that's why I put the quote that uh, you see our problem black people is not a priority in the Labour Party and the trade union movement. And mm. that quote really rang true to me when in the BAME rep elections, now this is about to get real deep, so hold on to mm-hmm. your seats. So you needed 50% of trade union support and you need 50% of the members. Okay. You had Navinda running, um, who is an MP, uh, Carol Sewell, who is now the BAME rep, and yeah. myself, we, we were the top three. I came third in that election. Um, but when, and it, it was kind of, it kind of hurt me. I was like, mm, okay, no worries. But, you know, again, I don't need a title to, to carry out work. Mm. Um, and when we did, when we got the breakdown, it showed that I got the most membership votes out of okay. Carol Sewell, Navinda, the MP. So everyone was like, well, how is that possible? How is that mm. fair? If Jermaine yeah. got the majority of members, so the members are saying that he, they want him to represent us. Now, I had my trade union, my trade union, musicians union, love them to bits. Uh, they're my they're my union, my, yeah. my rock. And Navinda had the left block of trade unions, and Carol Sewell had the the moderate um, block. Yeah. I even I even hate using those words anyway. It's the terminology we use in the party. And because they had such huge blocks, they were able to get above me. But you would think that the trade unions would consult the ethnic minority members of that trade union mm. to then elect who they wanted. No, what you had were white general secretary saying, we want this person to represent the yeah. ethnic minorities. You had a white general secretary, a white yeah. male, deciding who the representative of ethnic minorities will be. Yeah. How is that not right? How is, is it fair for, not for right. non-BAME people to vote on BAME? Yeah. It's the same with kind of the argument about mm. disability reps and stuff yeah. like that. It, it should, if you, you're not voting for somebody to represent you if you're mm. white. Simple as that. So these are some of the barriers that, and this is not, um, my experience is not the first. Um, it goes, it's historical and it goes back and back to Diana and the black sections. 
Um, and those were the challenges. And when I heard Paul Boateng speak recently at the Fabian Society, um, and he spoke about some of the challenges that he faced while campaigning to be an MP, it sounded like he could be an MP today. And he was talking about some of the abuse that he was getting, even from his own members and his own CLP. Mm. You know, a black man can't represent a white a majority white constituency. Um, that, that was the same thing that they said yeah. to Clive Lewis when he was running yeah. for Norwich. At what point do we start to say, hold on, wait a second. <laughs> we are coming across very racist mm. <laughs> at this moment in time. We need to start to take on the concerns, the views and the issues that face black people onto the agenda. Well, and, and following the article, I, I reached out to, to leadership and I said, look, um, these are some things that I'm hearing from on the ground from people. Let's work together. Let's try and mitigate this. Let's try and work around this. We don't want black members leading the party because they don't feel like it's at, at home. A week after I did that, Keir Starmer came out and, and spoke about Black Lives Matter being a moment and defund the police being nonsense. And it did make black members especially feel yeah. some type of way. And you yeah. can understand why they would feel some mm. type of way when mm. they're constantly being harassed, searched, stopped, yes. pulled over by the police. Listen, yeah. well, so when I spoke about defunding the police on Twitter and everyone's like, oh my goodness, why is he talking about defunding the police? Mm. I was talking about the redistribution of funds to community groups who work with these same communities yeah. that are being over-policed. I'm talking about, it. we spend seven to 12 billion pounds on policing in England and Wales. Imagine that money being redistributed into mental health services. Mm-hmm. into social homes, into education and infrastructure, into opportunities. We wouldn't be seeing the numbers that we're seeing in prison. And if you go into prison and you see some of the statistics, most of them are suffering from mental health. Most of them grew up in deprivation. Most of them didn't have access to um, opportunities and educational opportunities or employment opportunities. So how about we invest in that, that early intervention and that prevention to prevent them from getting into prison in the first place? So that's but- what I'm talking about, defunding the police and redistributing those funds. Yeah, I think I think it's used as a political slogan, isn't it? And then people, pe- critics of it, take it at face value of what they basically they can slag it off, can't they? If, mm. if they say, "Oh well, this is just gonna, it's gonna be a lawlessness. They're gonna get rid of every police officer in the country." That's not what it's about at all. And it's the same kind of people that talk about the the all lives matter thing. It, mm. It's just they mm. pick up on a slogan to deliberately misinform people about what yeah. it's about. And I think it's important, and this is, again, over, over the course of our conversation, I keep on dropping, this is why I'm running, because there's so many reasons as yeah. to why I'm running. And why I'm running is to remind people that this can also be a party for you. I'm not there to undermine leadership. I'm there to hold him to account. I'm there to remind him that, no, you can't be saying these things. As a leader, you should be putting mm-hmm. the conversation that, okay, I might not necessarily agree with you from the police, but they are talking about... Uh, rethinking our criminal justice system they are talking Mm. about rethinking the way we police people they are talking about Mm -hmm. how do we invest and engage with communities and i think that's an important conversation that we should be putting forward that's the type of statement and conversation and dialogue leadership should be putting across and if i'm on the nec i will be encouraging him to do so i mean the 1987 caucus put a series of demands to the party didn't they and the main one i can see in terms of changing that the way the, the party works internally is looking into all BAME parliamentary selection lists. Do you think that is the most important demand to, to change things? Because that does force the issue. Absolutely. I'll start off by saying I hate the term BAME. I really do. Mm, yeah. <laughs> because BAME was created by white men just to lump everyone non-white into yeah. a group. 
and and to almost generalize them and say that they have the same experiences so mm. um, my first thing will try and think rethink whether it's black and ethnic minority or whatever whatever that's that term would be mm. um, but there is a law that sort of it's not legal to have all BAME shortlists right um um it's not allowed in the equalities act so first thing we'll be campaigning to try and change the equalities act and there are many things in the equalities act that need to be changed somewhat one of the issues that i heard in hackney here in east london is that hair discrimination is not involved in the equalities act so schools can say yeah your hair is not professional enough there has and been cases of that hasn't there? yeah there has yeah. there's a girl there was a girl in hackney one of the most diverse boroughs in the country mm. was excluded from school sent home from school because they were said that her hair was unprofessional. My girl just had it in an afro. That's yeah, and crazy. It's unprofessional. You need to change it. What? I need to straighten it to make it look European. Yeah. And yeah, th- these it's... are these are some of the some of the challenges that we have to face, and some of the things that we need to change in the Equalities Act. And yeah. one of those is uh, it's allowing positive discrimination, if that makes sense, or yeah. not positive. But we have all women shortlists, don't we? So right, it, and we've seen how successful sense. we've seen how successful all women shortlists being. We have over fifty percent women in Parliament. Yeah. So we're saying that all Bain shortlists can potentially do the same thing, especially at a time with Black Lives Matter, the death of George yeah. Floyd. And only yesterday, this week, we had another unarmed Black man in America being yes. shot seven times in yeah. his back. So we, we face so many challenges. But also some of the some of the demands that I, we spoke about was expanding the Bernie Grant's leadership program, um, because we've seen how successful that was. When you graduate from it, what happens then? Do you get to walk into employment in, in the Labour Party or, or certain roles? There was no connecting from the Bernie Grant leadership programme to the party. Right. Um, so I'm wanting to solidify that, um, that connection. And there's, there's so many more demands from the changes in Chapter 14 to the Democracy Review, those recommendations, um, and allowing BAME members to to elect BAME representatives in BAME elections. So yeah, those are some of the demands that we've done. I was going to ask you what, what would be some of your priorities if you were elected to the NEC, but you seem to have answered you know, the entire conversation has <laughs> been about what you'd like to do. So it, it seems a bit of a redundant question, but I'll, I'll reframe it. What about, I don't know, say you, you get elected, what, what would you do on your, your first day or your first week? Oh, wow, <laughs> my first day. My first day, I, I, for some reason, I have this, I, this feeling that the NEC is so toxic and such a nasty culture mm. there where everyone's just sort of trying to get the one up on, on each other. I would go on with a different energy. Mm. Um, I just turned 25 uh, and I feel I'm youthful, I'm full of energy, I'm full of jokes and laughter, um, but I know when to sit down and have those serious conversations. And sure. I think on my first meeting, I would obviously with my list on the agenda so all those campaign groups that i had spoken to so labor grt that speak for the gypsy world travelers the campaign for trans rights the dual membership those will all be in my mind because Mm. those are some of the things that i would want to bring forward but i would also start to challenge their thinking to challenge their culture like who are we here for are we here for ourselves are we here to try and win an election and have a proper vehicle in order to win Mm -hmm. an election are we here to try and undermine one another and try and destroy the party before we can even get a year into an election. Yeah. Like, what are we trying to do? So my my thing is challenge the culture and amplify voices. My, those are my two main aims um, my, in my first couple, of, um, first couple of meetings, but also understanding the dynamics in the room. Because I'm not there, I'm not there to make friends. I'm there no. to represent members. I'm there to get things done. 
And I feel that there will come a point and there are times around that table where NEC members are just, just counterproductive, just don't want to work and, or, or just want to be difficult and try and block certain things. And, and my, my approach to a lot of things is, okay, what is the logic behind this? So you want me to vote for this, but what is the logic behind this? What does this do? Does this increase something? Does it decrease something? Does it help yeah. one another? What is the logic behind it? And if you can't provide me with the logic, then I don't really, well, it doesn't really sit right with me. Yeah, we, we had Anne Black on last week and she basically said to say, well, a similar thing that when she went to the NEC meeting about whether Corbyn should get on the ballot automatically in the 2016 leadership contests against Owen Smith, the meeting lasted six hours or mm-hmm. something and nobody voted any differently to yeah. what they'd have voted for on the way in on the way out that nobody changed their minds in six hours so what's the point in that you know and another thing she also said which we, we found really interesting and it it's sort of touching on on what you've already mentioned so i'll frame the next question to do with that as well so Anne Black, I don't know if you, you know Anne uh, well, Jermaine, but she'd been a big supporter, really, um, and, and a figure on the left of the Labour Party for a long time, since she was first elected on the NEC in 2000, um, and supported Jeremy Corbyn throughout his, his leadership, and uh, it actually supported for Jeremy Corbyn to get on to the ballot automatically when the, with the so-called chicken coup kicked off. But she spoke out about an issue of culture within the Labour Party under the Jeremy Corbyn leadership, agreed with pretty much all of his policies, but said that uh, there was an issue around sort of being delicate about it, but sort of a cult of personality, you know, being more about the leader than actually representing Labour Party members and, you know, the people that we hope to serve, so the electorate. And as a result of that, you know, she ended up losing her seat on the NEC. And and what you're talking about, you want to be a strong voice uh, on the NEC, try and shift the culture. You're going to come up with barriers to that, as Anne did as well. How are you going to overcome that? Have you you thought about it's it's emotionally difficult thing to do as well? How, How are you going to deal with all of those pressures? This is going to sound really strange what I'm about to say, but as a black man growing up in Hackney, you face barriers. You face, I can't, the countless of times, even being pushed up against the shop front window by police and saying that, um, being stopped and searched or or saying that I like to give you type of people a chance or have you got anything on you? (laughs) Or, or, Or having to put pressure on a wound when your friend's just been stabbed and you're trying to call for the ambulance at yeah. and you're only 13 years old or being denied access to a, a nightclub because it's just not your night um, or, or, or then being excluded from school because teachers don't really understand the emotions that are going through you at this moment in time or see you yeah. as aggressive or um, threatening um, being told that you won't amount to nothing and doors being closed on me whether that be employment or musical opportunities or people mm. thinking that I'm a rapper when I'm actually a singer so those are some of the barriers that I've faced over the time from when I'm the voice to today. I've built such a thick skin um, and such, what's the word, emotional resilience um, and a way of words where I'm able to navigate those spaces. So if, <laughs> I don't know about Anne, but I would not have sat in a meeting for six hours. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's how I am. At, there will come a point this is almost like even going to like a party 
So if yeah. say you go into a nightclub and then you know like all right, it's cool, this this club is, is popping and it, it's part every, everyone's looking good and and you know you get to that peak of the night where oh my yeah. goodness, this is it's amazing and then you just feel like okay, it actually can't get any better from here. So everything's yes. just now going downhill and I'm just gonna go home now. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> that type of approach that I would take in the NEC. Yeah. There will come a point where I would say, no one's changing. I just wonder, will anyone speak up at that point? In that six hours, did anyone speak up and say, is anyone going to change their mind? Because right now we're, we're at loggerheads. Yeah. Is anyone going to change their mind? If not, can I go home because I, I, I got some curry that I need to cook? Yeah. <laughs> like, because we're there to do a job. We're not there to try and prove a point. We're not there to, to have the one up on one another. And this also adds into that culture, that, that's this nasty culture. And there's an idea that I'm exploring at the moment in time, which I'm scared to share at, the, at this moment. Uh, okay exclusive which will which will help those six hour blocked meetings and i've got a really radical idea but you have to wait until september oh, oh i thought we were gonna get it and inside nearly had the scoop yeah. there maybe, but it, maybe, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm actually sharing in the credits <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so. after when the recording is over maybe <laughs> yeah yeah no, that's, no, that's fine we'll but, make sure our members are signposted to it we can get over some of these yeah. obstacles but also try and tackle that culture because it's a nasty culture we've got, we've had not just in the corbin era but it's always been there yeah. it's always this sort of power grabbing I've been locked up yeah. Right. I've been locked up for the past four years. We've got an opportunity at a new leader. Now yeah. now we're gonna show you what we need to do, do yeah. and block out everyone. Okay, all I'm saying with this idea that I had, I'm gonna use this line. Factionalism shouldn't be something that divides us, but something that unites us. Yeah. I'm gonna leave that there. Okay. For yeah. You guys because I am still working on it and I'm scared to say something and I don't know. But if we try and create a party where actually Factions can work together and, and, and destroy this toxic culture where, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm on the hard left and witch hunt this and witch hunt that. And, and then you've got the mods saying, oh, well, I'm trying to undermine and destroy the party from inside yeah. out. No one's going to win. No one's going to win. And when the I'm, only people who lose are the same family in Sunderland, the same boys exactly. in South London, the same girls in Manchester. Exactly. Those are the people who lose out from having a Labour government. And that's my passion. My passion is yeah. ensuring that we have a Labour government, but yeah. ensuring that the journey to a Labour government is authentic and it's real and we stand yes. by our socialist values, our yes. principles and our aims, the type of vision. We need to be clear on the type of vision that we, mm-hmm. need to see, that we want this country to be in. I think that's what we're trying to do in Open Labour. We recognise that the party has, has been too factional for, for too long now and obsessed with talking amongst ourselves and vendettas from, you know, different sides of the party. And it, it's, it's halted us making progress and, and kicking on and winning, and winning elections. And mm. as you've already said, you know, I grew up in, a, in an area and a, a council estate in a, in a poor area in Mansfield. There's a lot of criticism of the of the the new Labour government, but we had a Labour government, and because of that Labour government, my mum got working family tax credits and sure start centres and investments in schools and and support to go to university and those things, and that's what a Labour government can do. But we're not going to achieve that until we we start working together as a movement. So yeah, thanks for thanks for that, Jermaine. Yeah, absolutely. Difficult question. Now we've asked every candidate, so we've got to ask you. Unfortunately, we've lost four general elections in a row why do you think that is and how can we recover <laughs> there's no easy answers to this one as i've said we've asked every other candidate so we're not going to let you off the hook for, for the listeners jermaine's put his head in his hands 
So it's funny you ask that question because it ties into what we were just talking about. And I was going to say this earlier, but I'm glad that I didn't. And I'm going to save it for now. I, at uni- I went to university in Leeds. So did, so did me and Tom, actually. So we've all got oh, that in common. Yeah. Yeah. How, how old are you guys? I'm, I'm, you are five days older than me. I went on your yeah. Wikipedia page. So, so, so I'm a bit older than you guys. I'm 31, so. <laughs> <laughs> you're not looking, bro. Don't worry. Thanks, <laughs> man. <laughs> so hold on, Tom. Were we in the same, were we at uni the same time? No, we weren't. We weren't. Never mind, because I had one the voice and I didn't go to uni until after. Yeah, so you'll have been like year below me, I think, at uni. I went 2016, 20, yeah, 2016. I'll have just been doing my final year. Look at that. So. Anyway. I was, I, to be fair, I was back at, back at university in 2016. So, you're not trying to the kids. And 16. No, I was. I was doing my social work masters for 15, all of 15 and all of 16. So, I was about when you were about. Now nah, you were. Okay. Don't try and hang with us. <laughs> I was just the old, one, the old one who's like, why aren't we playing dubstep anymore? <laughs> right. Anyway. So, so they, they started this new module at Leeds called the Labour Party since 1945. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I was like, okay, this is dope. I'm going to do it. Um, the, the lecturer was a, clearly a Blair fan and every lecture was just him ranting about how terrible Corbyn was. But one of the things in my readings and in the exam and, and throughout that module that I kept on seeing was we had a history of losing. We've lost more than we won. More, mm-hmm. Right. Conservatives are uh, the most successful party ever. Right. And one of the recurring themes in that is party unity. Mm-hmm. We hate each other more than we've hated the Tories. Yeah. We spend more time focused on who can hold more power in the party than who can hold the government to account. We've, we've been so entrenched in publicly insulting, criticizing other colleagues which sometimes it's okay, but growing up, my mom's always told me, don't hang your dirty laundry out to dry. If you've got, an, if you've got a problem with somebody, have a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. I guarantee if I had a problem with someone on the NEC, I'd call them up. I said, yo, I didn't appreciate the way you spoke to me, or I didn't yeah. appreciate what just happened there. We yeah. need to have a conversation about that. Be mm-hmm. grown up about it. And then my, I might then go on Twitter and say, look, just had a conversation with so-and-so, we squashed it, it's all good. I don't know what they're trying to achieve. I don't know what individuals try to achieve when they go out and make things public. Now, I understand that there are some circumstances where you would need to make things public um, so, we can bring, so we can bring about change. But there is a fine line between the two. So this then answers the question why we've lost four elections since. And I think that we have been so entrenched in what divides us, um, trying to fight for the soul of the party that we've ripped the soul in two, and until we piece that soul together, because, and I use metaphors and analogies all the time, we've ripped the soul into and everyone's clutching onto their piece, not realizing that this piece of the soul that you have is not effective on its own. And that goes for every single corner of the party. We talk about a broad church. Oh, we're a broad church party, but we don't show it. No, yeah, absolutely. It was supposed to be a broad church of, it's supposed to be a collective of socialists and social democrats, right? And it's like we we've suddenly or over the last 10 years or something just decided that we don't need each other anymore and we don't have this common enemy that's been in government for a decade and has absolutely ruined the country i forgot that the labor movement was built on solidarity you know and and this is it like at what point do we start to say okay there are going to be some compromises i need to make but the most important thing is ensuring that we have a labor government so we can begin to transform this country 
and and it's difficult i think it's easy for us to sit here in our in our podcast and have a conversation about it but in reality um in some of the group chats that i'm in like i'm ready to leave all them group chats because mm. they're just as toxic as hell yeah. oh this person and they're yeah. fooling you and it's so it's absolutely yeah. crazy so crazy now i'm thinking in order for us to actually win we need to be united we need to be singing from the same hymn sheet although you might not like the words sometimes and you might not like the melody but there are some times where you can compromise and there are some times where the other party other part of the party will compromise too and you'll be singing your favorite parts soon but the most important thing is to get that song into the charts mm. sorry i'm i'm not using a music this analogy. music analogy <laughs> and it's a good analogy you're entitled to do that jermaine i think given your Thank success you. in the music industry <laughs> Thank you very much and, and i think the most important thing is okay right i'm going to use that analogy i remember being in the studio and i'll be writing some songs with another songwriter he would like some parts of the song i won't like it but if he's saying that look bro this bit really flows into this bit and that bit and, and it just makes sense and i'm like but mm, i don't know all right but cool can i can i do something on like the bridge where i, I can just belt and do what i want to do yeah, yeah. that's totally fine like do do you the song gets them to the charts because it's lit because yeah. we both put our minds together work together we've made compromises right and it's the song that that's blessed so many hearts that listen yeah. to it it's a song that's prevented somebody from committing suicide it's a song yeah. that's empowered somebody to get up and and say you know what i'm gonna start applying for jobs and not be demoralized anymore than and, and so at what point do we start to say let's let's write this song together so we can actually mm-hmm. get it into the charts because people need a song like this they need it and by us not even writing it Forget about the charts, but us not even writing about it, we don't even give them the opportunity to listen. Yeah, I mean, I think people act like that the, the party's got 500,000 members, right? Or give or take. And every single one of them has different opinions to each other on everything. Nobody agrees on everything, but people act like it's momentum versus the Blairites. It's progress or, or labour first versus the Corbynites and stuff like that. But even within them groups you have to make compromises. So I don't see why that can't be stretched wider that, mm-hmm. to, to encompass what, what they encompass, these little factions, encompass compromises. So why can't that be stretched together beyond factions, yeah. if you know what I mean? This is it. Like, not everything will go the way we want it to go. Mm. But it's definitely not going to go the way we want it to go if the Tory government's still in power. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like, like, it's all... It's, it's just, it's frustrating. And this is, and this is why I'm like, Jermaine, we need to change this culture. Mm-hmm. Because if the Labour Party is the only vehicle of change at this moment in time, and I'm still seeing kids out on the street being killed on a week-by-week basis who desperately need a Labour government, we are doing them a disservice. No, I, I then have to question, where are my, where's my membership money going? My membership's mm-hmm. money go. I want to put my money into a vehicle for change, a vehicle that can get yeah. into government. But what have you proven to me the last time, the last couple of um, years? So at what point, and I, I know there's many people that want to leave the party and uh, who have run away from the party. And I said, instead of running away from something, why not run for something? Why not run for the NEC? Why not? Mm-hmm. Why not try and transform and bring yeah. a different vibe onto the top table? Why don't, instead of calling that top table, bring that table down to the ground so they can hear what the voices on the ground are saying. Like, how, at what point do we start to rethink and, and our approach? So this is, this is the vibe that I'm trying to bring. And that's why I feel like 
um, which has been a recurring theme since 1945 to today, a recurring theme in the party, that party unity has yeah. proven our downfall, has proven as a, as a thorn I think, in our side. I think members agree with you as well, because yeah. I think that what you've just described, I think they're sick of it. And yeah. I think they're sick of the internal fighting to the point where I think it yeah. drove a lot of Keir Starmer's vote in the leadership election, to be honest. Yeah. He was seen as inoffensive, intelligent, yeah. and a unity candidate in some way. And historically, unity candidates have never done well um, in yeah. internal Labour leadership elections, but suddenly they are. And I think members are genuinely sick of it. They, they, they join a party that is running for parliament. You want to be in government. It's as simple as that. And if the infighting's holding us back, you're going to vote for the candidates. That um, that encompass that the most. Would you would you describe yourself as a unity candidate, Jermaine? Yes, I would, because of my ability. A lot of, more of my campaign activism has actually been outside of the party, and I have been able to galvanise like mainstream press through that activism. A lot of people have seen me be active in those spaces from across the party and, and they've seen me speak on the issues that face communities not factional issues but actual issues that face communities and i think it's resonated with people all across the board and for example when i ran for the bain rep i said there's no such thing as faction with, with the issues that face black and ethnic minorities you're even a victim of racism or you're not mm. yeah <laughs> like it, it's not it, yeah. like it, it just didn't make sense to me I am a unity candidate. I would I would say that, but I I proudly say that I'm also a socialist. Yeah. Um, but I'm able to work productively, constructively with whoever I need to work with in order to reach an outcome. Mm. And it's almost like employment. You're not going to get along with every everyone that you work with in your office. You're not going to. But you're there to do a job. You're there to have us make sure the business is successful. Yeah. Whether it's a charity, you're there to make sure that the charity meets its aims and impacts the people. Um, that is meant to impact, improve lives. This is what we should be doing, guys. We should be working together to try and improve the lives of people around the country. I think the majority of members absolutely agree with you, and, and Tom's already said it. I think that's that that did fuel the the vote for Keir Starmer. Unfortunately, there is a small rump that would rather not win an election than have a leader that is a compromise, a leader that compromises to a certain extent. And I think those rumps are all, all dotted across the party um, yeah, and yeah. were active under Corbyn and they're active under Keir. And I was saying this under Jeremy Corbyn to a lot of people. I said, look, and I'm going to use another analogy here. So, so hold on. Yeah. Are I you good at them, mate? So. Thank you very much. My, my favourite film is Transformers. And in Transformers, there's this, there's this object called the spark of leadership that Optimus Prime has. And whoever has the spark of leadership everyone follows that leader. Everyone yep. supports and follows that leader down whatever route. By all means, they're able to comment and contribute and suggest certain things and which way they should go. And, but the vision is the leader's vision, right? And we have to listen to the leader. We don't need to undermine the leader. We don't need to, to try and prevent the leader. Look, you, you have the leak reports, share what it shared. We don't need to go into that. Um, but you had individuals who were working yep. against the party. And, and that's just absolutely unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. Absolutely. And, I will, and I will repeat the same thing this time around as well. Keir now has the spark of leadership. Yeah. And let's toll to his vision. Along the line, holding him to account, making sure he's transparent, making sure he's speaking yeah. on the issues. And by, by, by doing so, the only, one of the only positions to do so was on the NEC. 
And by yeah. doing so, you're creating a more inclusive, better party at the same time and equipping him with the knowledge and the skills to be a better prime minister too. And that's exactly I will what be, said. Respect the mandate. Definitely. Right. And, and I will be doing everything I can to ensure Keir Starmer is our next prime minister. And I, and I can say that as a socialist, as someone who's on the yeah. left, I will do everything I can to make yeah. sure Keir Starmer is our, our prime minister, while at the same time making sure he's speaking up on the issues, making sure he's yeah. held account, making sure he's transparent. I mean, that's what it comes down to as well. That people often when you're such a sucked in member of the party that you realize that you're involved in all these factional debates and stuff some people don't realize that well they obviously realize but forget that mm. this is for someone to become prime minister of one of the biggest countries in the world how yeah. much a labor government could shape global politics is yeah. absolutely insane yeah. and <laughs> people just seem to lose sight of that sometimes this is Definitely. it. I feel like they're, they're, so, they're so busy with the, the many battles, they don't see the massive war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's like, almost like battle after battle after battle. For example, I, I don't want to call out any organisations, um, no. but there, there was one and who I didn't engage with because some of the questions were based on, uh, most of their questions were based on anti-Semitism. Oh, will you campaign against this and this and that and this definition and that and this pledges. And I'm like, all that? you guys are still entrenched in these little old battles from two and a half years ago. At what point do you start to look forward? At what point do we start to think forward about the challenges that are going to be facing us? For example, how we're in another recession and guarantee we're going to be facing austerity in a bit. How do we navigate those spaces? What do we need to be mindful of? How do we bring all those ideas together Mm. to to, to speak up on those issues? We saw the A-levels and the GCC scandal coming up. We saw what happened in Scotland. We should have been on it straight away. Empowered our Scottish comrades to speak on it. These are the things that we're falling behind. And I feel like as a party so far, I'm not, no, no, I'm not sending shots to Keir, but as a party, I feel like we're playing catch up. At what, mm. point do we, at what point do we start to think forward and say, mm. okay, well, we know that these are happening. And, and how do we ensure that we, we mitigate those? What would, what would we have done differently? And I think that that's what we should be speaking on in the present. He should have been saying, look, Boris, you need to be doing this because this will happen. And then when that happens, then like, yeah. look, I told you so. And I, I told you we should have been doing that. No, I think you, you t- we were talking about the Black Lives Matter movement earlier on, but you, you yeah. say about it, it's all about a bigger picture. <laughs> you know, it, this, th- there are more things to life than internal Labour Party wars. Mm-hmm. And, and the Black Lives Matter th- uh, movement has a complete similarity with that though it's 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 a bigger picture isn't it i mean young black men are more likely to be stopped and searched as you said three and a half times more likely to be arrested charged and jailed for harsher and longer sentences than their white counterparts for the same crime you know this is that's a perfect example of how people completely don't see the wider picture and and how i think you said it in your labelist article jermaine that it's it's not just about structural racism on the ground it goes to education employment mm. health and housing mm. and i think you know people need people do need to see the bigger picture more i can't can't stop saying bigger picture because there's no other word for it <laughs> no but it is it is a bigger picture it's almost like you're so entrenched with this one little puzzle piece yeah um that that you're, you're like oh this, look at this puzzle why has it got this not realizing that the puzzle can fit into a piece mm. of a massive picture and it can work it mm. can work just take a step back out of it and I you know when when the George Floyd 
when George Floyd was killed and the protests were happening around the world, I was just, I didn't know how, I was, I was in a really weird place. I was in a place of anger. I was in a rage, actually, I'll call it rage. Like I was waking up every morning, just angry, filled with rage. I was emotional. Um, I actually, to this day, I still haven't seen the video of George Floyd no. um, because I can't. Um, and I struggled to watch the video yesterday of um, the other individual in America who was shot seven times in his back. And it had me thinking about my own experiences with the police and how much far we have to go. Like one of the conversations that my mum has and, and pretty much every single black family around the world has had is I remember being in school and my mom was telling me, Jermaine, because you're black, you need to work twice as hard. And I was like, why? Like, why do I have to work twice? That's not fair. Like, I'm, I'm already working hard. I don't need to work even harder. Like, but I put all my orb. She's like, no, because of, because of your color of your skin, you must work twice as hard because there's so many barriers that are going to be placed in your way. And, and that's the reality of it, being told that at a young age. And we, me and my family, we have, and, and some of my friends, we have this thing when we, when we discuss like, well, when was the first time you realized you were black? Uh, and a lot of people say, well, it was in primary school when um, a teacher didn't, when I fell on the floor and I grazed my knee and a teacher didn't know that my, my flesh is actually pink <laughs> underneath. Like, and, and those, those are some of the things where or, or a student might come up to you and say, oh, do you actually bleed or is your blood actually red or is it blue? And those are some of the conversations that you have in the playground. And yeah. then you might go to secondary school and you're pulled over or you're pushed up against a shop front by police and saying, I like to give you type of people a chance. And I'm like, what does you type of people mean? Or when I remember I was leaving college and I, um, because you can get um, a free cheeseburger with your student card. So any of those listeners who are students at the moment, yeah, <laughs> with your student card. Uh, and I used to get a Big Mac medium meal from McDonald's every single afternoon after um, college. <laughs> and there was a line of young black men being stopped and searched in, um, in front of the McDonald's, not in front of the McDonald's, but in the store next to McDonald's. And I looked at them and I walked past and I went into the McDonald's. As I walked around the corner to walk into the door of McDonald's, I got pulled by the back of my neck so hard that my face hit the side of the mirror of the corner and the police officer pulled me, pushed me back onto the wall and saying, where the hell do you think you're going? I'm like, holding my face, I'm, I'm going to McDonald's. It took, it took maybe about five to 10 minutes of the other boys telling the police officers, he's not with us. He is not with us. Like, you don't, why are you, still, why are you pulling him back? He was never with us in the first place. And those are some of the challenges that I've had to face. And, so when, when I saw the death of George Floyd, I said that could have been my cousin, that could have been my uncle, mm. it could have been me. And I was just in a place of rage, a place of so much anger, because the knee on the neck is such a, it's a symbolic one, because it, sim mm. it symbolizes oppression. And when I think about oppression, I think of Christopher Columbus, I think of uh, the transatlantic slave trade, I think about yeah. the reaction like the uh, civil rights movement, but the and the British movements, the British social movements that for racial equality, like the Bristol bus boycott and things like that. I think about all of those and I'm like, okay, well, how do we then, how do I then turn my anger into activism? How do I then get the knee off the neck? I'm going to be real with you guys. When I saw Keir and Angela Reyna do the whole knee thing, I was like, really guys? 
really? And and then a week after that, you guys are talking because that was when I started to talk to leadership. I was like, look, we, we should, don't don't be doing this, these tokenistic stuff. Look, we mm-hmm. need to be making meaningful because you can't be saying doing a knee on the net when you've got white general secretaries dictating who represents ethnic minorities yeah. in your own party. Yeah, people that want to put distance between this country and the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that's going on with racism in society are people that just the excuse they make is look that's in the united states that's because of guns that's why george floyd got killed it's because of Mm -hmm. guns and stuff like that but that's it's not the case is it because we have dawn butler here that had to close her constituency office because of physical threats because she's black it wasn't for any other reason it's because she's black diane abbott gets something like what is it half over half of all well, Twitter abuse, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> because she's black, and that's and, and that's not just no, that's not just from people who are not in the party. That's from people in the party too. Yeah, and and it absolutely breaks my heart to hear um, some some of the challenges. Like I can't I can't begin to imagine. I after I won the voice, um, I had abuse every single day for about maybe two years. And throughout that time, I've built like my, my skin is thick and so it's who from? Like, who, who was giving you that piece? Just random haters, people or haters, random people. I'll be blocking people and then be creating new accounts, just slagging me off, yeah. calling me names, monkey ape, all sorts. So I built up that that skin. So whenever whenever I put out political tweets or something like that, and I see all the abuse and mm-hmm. everyone then DMs me saying, "Oh, Jermaine, like just ignore them." I'm so sorry that you, solidarity, Jermaine. I was like, "I'm cool though. I'm I'm fine." Like this is what Waffle Ducks back for me because I received m- much. <laughs> they were worse back in the day, um, but I can't mm-hmm. begin to imagine the abuse that Diane Abbott gets when Diane Abbott tweets me. I then get to see her replies, yes. some of the replies in those tweets, and it's just absolutely horrendous. Mm-hmm absolutely horrendous so the black lives matter movement and this is why another reason why we need individuals like myself and many more other individuals on the nec to just to remind leadership like you can't be saying them type of things you can't be doing things in a tokenistic way we need to really diversify our party you can't just be saying oh i'm gonna do 45 minutes of a of a unconscious bias training like yeah. I'm, I'm not there to be slagging anybody off. i'm there to talk to you as a real person as a real human being as a black man who's experienced challenges growing up in London, who's been called the N-word countless of times in gentrified hackney. It's, it's so, about doing things right, isn't it, as well? I mean, we talked about political education earlier on, how people can learn. And if there's proper black representation at the top of the party, then surely that can only get better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, because then we'll start to talk about the issues. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think he has, um, has a really diverse team in Lotto. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we've got one black man in the shadow cabinet, David Lamy, uh, which is great, but we can definitely do more. And these are some of the things that I want to speak up on. These are some of the things that I really, really want to speak up on. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's a lot. You, even talking about it is, is exhausting, having mm-hmm. to relive and revisit some of that yeah. trauma. Because again, after this call, and I, as I leave my house to maybe go to the corner shop to buy a packet of crisp, I'm going to have that same old white lady that might cross the road because she sees a six foot four um, young black man and she's scared. I mean, I was going to say, I understand, but I don't because I'm white. Like, <laughs> you know, people, people are quick to empathise, but they'll, they'll never understand if they've never experienced it. And that, yeah. that's why we need voices like yours at the top of the party so people yeah. know what they at least have heard about the experience if they've never experienced it themselves. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, yes, uh, and it's another question that I've asked all, all of our candidates, all the candidates that we're supporting, rather. So it's, it's how has the global pandemic changed politics, but perhaps you could talk about how the potential to change, change politics in a positive way. That might be a new angle to, to talk about it. Well, I can talk about both. The pandemic has, has, has made us think about and actually implement policies that look like are from the Labour Party manifesto, if, in my opinion. And it's got countries implementing left-leaning policies. Yeah. So, so for example, it wasn't until COVID that people started talking about digital poverty because not everything's online um, and not many people have access to Wi-Fi. I remember, so I chair a commission in Hackney called the Young Futures Commission. Um, and it was about looking into the lived experiences of children and young people. And the council had this idea that the only troublemakers hang out in front of McDonald's on the high road and they're causing yeah. trouble and mayhem and blah, blah, blah. So me being my son, being who I am, I went up to them, chilled with them, bought them all happy meals and stuff, and we we're just chilling and chatting. I said, "So why are you guys always hanging out here?" And that because we get the free Wi-Fi. That's all it happened with. It happened with the schools, that didn't it as well? I mean, when when all the all the learning went online, we had a lot of stuff locally in Yorkshire of poor kids just not being able to get onto their lessons, and then. The government was saying, well, we tried to offer these lessons, but there was a really small uptake, so we're not going to bother anymore. It's like, well, yeah, no because, got a laptop. Yeah, no one's got a laptop, no one's got Wi-Fi. <laughs> and this is it. And, and especially now that you've got people's incomes being squeezed, you've got families now saying, is it food? Is it rent? Is it bills? Yeah. Or is it Wi-Fi? And Wi-Fi always comes last, doesn't it? Always. Wi-Fi is going to be the first thing to go. It's yeah. going to be the first thing to go. So we really, and, and you know, last year, the Labour Party were talking about universal broadband. And uh, we were laughed at for it. And now everyone's yeah. sort of peddling yeah. it like, a, yeah. oh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's such a radical idea. I'm like, yeah, mm, yeah you still look at the Labour Party manifesto <laughs> yeah. last year. Like Four-day so, working week's the same, isn't it? Or universal basic income and services. You know, they, these, are, these were pie in the sky, you know, Jeremy Corbyn, this ridiculous communists with these crazy ideas that can't be afforded i mean these are all things that are that are on the agenda now that people are talking about seriously right right absolutely so there's a level of vindication to it but it's also a level of frustration like we've just (laughs) we've just offered you all this and you said no and it took a hundred year pandemic to uh, change your mind i have a feeling that the Boris's advisors, because you know Boris is not really the prime minister. His his advisors are the prime minister. Boris is just the face. Yeah. But his their advisors were probably sitting around scrolling through the Labour Party manifesto. What can we implement? What can we implement? What can we implement during during coronavirus? But it has been devastating to a number of communities. It's it showed the the huge levels of inequality that we have in society, the disgusting levels of racism as well, and I'm just fearful that the aftermath of COVID might actually be more far worse than the virus itself. I think the impact of the virus on people's mental health, on children going back into school in September, I think we're gonna see a high exclusion rate because you've got thousands of children who have lost family members, thousands of children who are having to deal with that trauma and and, and different mental health and and mental emotional experiences going straight back into school and they're, they're not gonna be able to be settled properly. So I'm fearful of that. I'm, I'm just fearful of the impact coronavirus not only has had in terms of taking lives, but also the social impact and obviously the economic impact it's currently having 
on society and those who are left with the short for straw are going to be the ones who are most disadvantaged most disenfranchised ethnic minorities there's a study that said that um black and asian households south asian households stay in the recession far longer than the actual yeah. country yeah so how do we work around that and the mm-hmm. labor party needs to be that vehicle that actually speaks up for those communities because i'm fearful that if the labor party stays quiet ethnic minorities won't know who to turn to there's a lot there's a lot of new questions isn't there or questions that were buried before you had sixty thousand people dying in a very short space of time in this Mm. country and it's crazy that it took a global pandemic not only to convince people of the policies we were talking about earlier on but also the impact of as you say south asian communities Mm -hmm. and, and and communities like that that recover from recessions and economic downturns much slower than the rest of the country that that should not have yeah. been a new question now because that's existed all the time it, it existed in 2008 so <laughs> absolutely and i will i will say this i'll end on this um that we were right to to talk about defunding and and and, and taking funds away from nuclear weapons because nuclear war is not the biggest threat no it's climate change and a virus yeah. And we need to be investing those that two hundred billion pounds that we put into nuclear weapons that we're never going to push that button for. No. We need to be putting into science and medical innovation so mm-hmm. we can actually tackle climate change. So we can actually prevent another pandemic um, and work yeah. with the international community. Because mm-hmm. I, I think one thing that was really apparent to me during the pandemic was just how divided countries were. But you've got the UN, you've got the EU, you've got all these international structures and there was no coordinated approach to it. Every I mean, we're meant to have a World Health Organization. Right, and if every country was doing their own thing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. let's not listen to the World Health Organization. I'm like, no, now was the time to listen to the World yeah. Health Organization. What the hell? Yeah. And the United um, States withdrew during a pandemic and we've abolished public <laughs> health England during a pandemic. Yeah. It's like, couldn't this have waited, guys? And so like, oh, this is over or just do it before. No, right in the middle literally just the last hour and a bit that we've had to discuss like it's shown me how much we how many how much barriers that we have left to overcome um but it's only by us working together all of us in our party working together we can truly overcome the barriers of unity division some of i'm not going to call the names because i don't need to call them names Mm. but some of the sections of the party that don't need to be there so we can actually prepare the Labour yeah. Party for government, and yeah. that's exactly what we need, and that's exactly what I will do while on the NEC. I think we'll we'll leave it at that then, Jermaine, because that was an excellent way to finish off our chat today. It really has been wonderful to have you on. We really enjoyed that. Well, I really enjoyed it. I'm I'm saying we, Tom, but I'm sure you did as well. I could see you <laughs> nodding. <laughs> yes, no, no, I hated that. Yeah, it was awful. <laughs> it was one of the best you've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that yeah, really enjoyed the discussion. Thank you so much for coming on. Congratulations on already being on the ballot, by the way. That's great. Thank you very much. Thank you. We have told our members to continue to keep nominating and voting for you, of course. So mm-hmm. you'll 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 get plenty more nominations from from our supporters. But yeah, Jermaine, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks.